The Confrontation of Moshe and Paro by Revezer Bick The ten plagues are divided into two parshiot, the first seven in parashat Vaera and the last three in parashat Bo. Is this merely a division of convenience, or is there an important distinction between these two groups of plagues? Parashat Bo begins with God explaining to Moshe what the purpose of the plagues is. Come to Paro, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, in order that I set my signs in his midst, and in order that you recount to the ears of your son and your son's son that which I have wrought in Egypt, and the signs which I have placed in it, and you shall know that I am Hashem. This is clearly a break in the continuous narrative of the plagues, and more importantly, nothing has occurred which seems to warrant this interruption. Several commentators surmise a reluctance on Moshe's part to keep coming to Paro, seeing that Moshe's warnings do not have any apparent effect on him. To which God's explanation here is addressed, You are commanded to go to Paro, God tells Moshe, not to convince him to let the Jews go, but in order to demonstrate the opposite, and justify continued plagues and signs of God's might. However, there is no evidence in the verses for this hesitation on Moshe's part, nor any explanation why it takes place precisely after the seventh plague. What's more, this explanation is qualitatively different from similar explanations given in the past. Before the first plague in Parashat Vaera, God told Moshe, And I shall harden the heart of Paro, and will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Paro will not listen to you, and I shall set my hand against Egypt. And Egypt shall know that I am Hashem, when I stretch out my arm over Egypt, and take out the Jews from their midst. Similarly, when Moshe removes the frogs, he tells Paro to choose the hour, so that you know that there is none like Hashem our God. Finally, before the plague of wild animals, Moshe tells Paro that there will be a dividing line between the land of Egypt and Goshen, in order that you know that I am Hashem in the midst of the land. In all these instances, the purpose of the plague, or at least some aspect of the plague, is that Egypt, or Paro, recognize God's power and presence. In our parasha, before the eighth plague, we find a new emphasis, in order that you recount to the ears of your son and your son's son that which I have wrought in Egypt, and the signs which I have placed in it, and you shall know that I am Hashem. The target of the signs and wonders is Israel, that they should know that he is Hashem. Something has changed at the beginning of our parasha. The most striking change, I think, is also the key to understanding what has happened. God commands Moshe to come to Paro. This is the first time such a command appears before a plague without the message that is to be delivered. Before all previous plagues, we find one of two forms. Either Moshe is told to accost Paro somewhere, usually on the Nile, and warn him of the impending plague, or Moshe is told to simply perform an action which brings on the plague. Now it is true that in some cases God does not tell Moshe to first speak to Paro. But of course, in those cases, there is also no command to come to Paro. In our case, we have the anomalous situation of God telling Moshe to visit Paro without telling him what to say, followed immediately by Moshe going to Paro and delivering a speech warning of the next plague, the locust. The Ramban explains that it must be assumed that if Moshe speaks to Paro, God had first told him what to say, just as previously in the case of the hail, we must assume that Moshe does tell Paro what God had commanded him to say, even though it is not explicitly stated. The Torah, claims the Ramban, does not have to repeat both the command and the fulfillment. This strengthens my question. Had the original command been totally absent, we would have a conversation of unnecessary repetition. 
But the Torah here does have both the command and the fulfillment. It is merely that they are not parallel. God does command Moshe to go to Paro, followed by Moshe's explicit fulfillment of that command. It is just that in the command, there was no mention of the content of the speech, and instead, we find the totally unexpected explanation of God's purpose in artificially lengthening the Egyptian ordeal by hardening the heart of Paro. In fact, starting with this plague of locusts, we find a noticeable stress on the comings and goings of Moshe, beyond merely as a necessary detail to explain where he is. It seems as though the coming before Paro and the leaving his presence is an independent focus of the story, without reference to what happens or is spoken during the encounter. First, the opening command, Come to Paro, with no particular content to the visit explicated by God. I think the Ramban is undoubtedly correct. God must have told Moshe what to say, and this is the opportune time to do so. But filling in that lacuna does not in itself explain the structure of the verse, which gives the appearance that God did not tell Moshe what to say. So, having accepted the Ramban's comment, we still have to explain why the explicit structure of the verse has God commanding Moshe to make an appearance, to go, without telling him what to do. The unavoidable impression is that there is now special importance in the visit itself, regardless of the content of Moshe's speech. This is mirrored and emphasized in the actual events of the following three plagues. First, Moshe delivers the warning about the locust, and he turned and left the presence of Paro. Second, after hearing his servants' fears, Paro has Moshe returned, only to drive them away from the presence of Paro. Third, Moshe is called to Paro after the plague of locusts, and then goes out from the presence of Paro in order to pray to God. Fourth, after calling Moshe in response to the plague of darkness, Paro tells him, Get away from me. Be careful not to see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. Moshe answers, So be it. As you have spoken, I shall not again see your face. I think it is clear now. It is not I who is seeking to draw your attention to the significance of the face-to-face meetings between Moshe and Paro, but the two of them. The tension here is palpable, and it centers not around the content of the communication between Moshe and Paro, but the direct personal confrontation between them. It is not hard to imagine the scene, these two men staring at each other, the grim hardness of their words, the challenge and the supercharged air. Fifth, apparently before leaving, Moshe continues and gives Paro the final message of God, the impending plague of the firstborn. The final line of this warning is, And all these your servants will come down to me and bow down before me, saying, Leave, you and all the people at your feet, and then shall I leave. And he left the presence of Paro with consuming anger. The circle begun with Boel Paro, come to Paro, has been finally closed with Moshe walking out on him. Of course, we are all familiar with the final scene. And Paro rose in the night, he and all his servants, and he called to Aaron and Moshe in the night and said, Get up and leave from my people, you and the children of Israel. The Midrash, based on the closing line of Moshe in his last meeting with Paro, claims that Paro came to the house of Moshe to plead with him to leave. Again, another closing of the circle of Bo. Paro comes to Moshe rather than Moshe coming to him. I think now the nature of the parasha break of Bo is clear. Starting with this plague of locust, God is telling Moshe that the confrontation with Paro is to be a personal one. He is to go to face Paro directly and engage in a test of wills with him. The verbal content of Moshe's speeches is now secondary in importance to the actual personal appearance that he must make. 
Moshe is to overcome Paro on the personal level. As Moshe says, All your servants shall come and bow down to me. Rashi explains that servants was a respectful way of hinting at Paro himself. Moshe squares off with Paro in a battle of wills and eventually wins. Of course, the reason is that God's miracles are behind him. Before we get to the reason for this personal confrontation, let us place it in a wider perspective. It can be claimed that Moshe is being introduced through the filter of the lineage of the Jews at the beginning of Vayera as a member of the Jewish nation, rather than as an extraordinary individual possessing unique talents. Because he is to represent God rather than himself, he is placed in the context of the genealogical tree of Bnei Israel. If I can widen that idea slightly, the genealogy which eventually reaches Moshe and Aharon basically has the effect of assimilating Moshe. He is just another Jew, so to speak. The reason is that it is the Jews as a whole who are demanding of Paro that he let them go. Moshe is just a representative of the Jews. Moshe's own personality is submerged. What is important is the message he carries in the name of Hashem, God of Israel. By the time we get to Bo, the message is really unimportant, for at least one very simple reason. Paro will not in any event listen to the message, for his heart is hardened by God. Indeed, I think the conversations between Paro and Moshe and Parashat Bo are characterized by a lack of anything approaching genuine communication, unlike Parashat Vaera, where at least at times Paro seems to be wavering or genuinely considering the power or truth in Moshe's demands. In Bo, although Paro asks Moshe for his position, he then rejects it out of hand without any hesitation. Moshe's position, even backed by the plagues, makes no impression on Paro. I am arguing that the purpose of the conversation was not to persuade Paro, was not, in fact, to communicate with him at all, but should be found in the confrontation itself. Moshe is not presenting the Jewish position. He is locking himself in battle with Paro, facing up to him, waiting, as it were, for him to blink. These are not negotiations anymore. This is confrontation for the sake of confrontation. Why? The answer is given by God. Come to Paro, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, in order that I set my signs in his midst, and in order that you recount to the ears of your son and your son's son that which I have wrought in Egypt, and the signs which I have placed in it, and you shall know that I am Hashem. The purpose of God's elaborate plan is that you, plural, shall know that I am Hashem. Now we all know who is the ultimate protagonist of the battle with Paro. It is not Moshe, but God himself. As this verse says, that which I have wrought in Egypt. Chazal expressed this most clearly in the passage from the Haggadah. And I shall pass through the land of Egypt, I and not an angel. And I shall strike every firstborn, I and not a seraph. And I shall pass judgment on all the gods of Egypt, I and not an agent. I am Hashem, I am He and no other. The final confrontation, the plague of the firstborn, takes place with the Jews locked in their homes, and God Himself alone passing through Egypt. The same theme is explicitly repeated in Bishalach. God shall fight for you and you shall be still. But it is striking, however, that during the prelude to the last plague, Moshe openly identifies himself with God himself. Moshe said, Thus saith Hashem, At midnight I shall go forth in Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And all these your servants will come down to me and bow down before me, saying, Leave, you and all the people at your feet, and then shall I leave. Who is the reference of the pronoun I in this sentence? Since Moshe's speech begins with a very formal opening, Ko Amar Hashem, which is also immediately followed by the statement, I shall go forth in the land of Egypt, 
it would seem to clearly be God. Yet the last line, and then I shall leave, seems to be clearly referring to Moshe, and was undoubtedly understood that way by Paro. The previous line, will bow down before me, would also seem to refer to Moshe. I would like to suggest that these lines are deliberately equivocal. It is indeed God who is speaking, and ultimately, Paro's subservience is before God. But this will be fulfilled when Paro comes down to look for Moshe on that last night, and humbles himself before Moshe. Paro begins his conversations with Moshe by dismissing God. Who is Hashem that I should listen to his word? Now Paro will go down to him, and bow down before him. But why is this necessary? Not, God tells Moshe in the beginning of the parasha, so that Paro should know that Hashem is God, for that will have been accomplished earlier, during the original plagues. Now the purpose is that you should know that I am Hashem. God sends Moshe to battle Paro and strengthens Paro in the doing, so that Moshe should experience firsthand the clash of titans, the battle of God's word against the vainglory of human power, of emperors and tyrants. This is qualitatively different than merely observing the battle from the sidelines, as the Egyptians and the Jews were doing. God wants Moshe's personal involvement, and he switches Moshe's role from the representative of the Jewish people, speaking in God's name, to the representative of God himself. For this, it is necessary to divinely empower Paro as well, giving him the added strength to represent the powers of resistance to God, beyond what Paro the mortal could have mustered on his own, though perhaps not beyond what he would have wanted to muster. The parasha is intensely personal, so that Moshe should feel personally the involvement of God in the struggle. Ultimately, God will take on the last blow completely alone, leaving even Moshe at home to await the coming of Paro to surrender. The moment that this identification of Moshe with the personal struggle of God is, I think, when he turns and leaves in consuming rage. The anger Moshe feels at Paro is rooted in his complete identification with God, who has been belittled by Paro. Until now, Moshe did not have such a spontaneous reaction, despite all the words of Paro. And Paro, I think, recognized this change in Moshe as well. Right before that moment, Paro threatens Moshe with death. It is striking that never before had Paro sought to silence Moshe. At first, he treats Moshe with disdain. Why, Moshe and Haron, do you disturb the people from their work? Later, he treats him with respect, but never before did he feel personally threatened by Moshe. Paro reacts at this moment with anger and fear, and threatens Moshe personally. If I see you again, you shall die. Now that the confrontation is personal, now that Paro has felt the power that is in Moshe, God tells him of Makat Bechorot, of the ultimate encounter, and Moshe in turn walks out in anger. But why, you will ask again, why does God want this to take place? The answer is, once again, that you should know that I am Hashem. This has two levels. One is for all Jews. The pronoun you is in plural form. Vidatem kiani Hashem. But I think that there is also a hinted goal for Moshe alone. The verse combines singular and plural pronouns. In order that you, singular, should tell your son and your son's son. And you, plural, should know that I am Hashem. Moshe, it is hinted, will have a personal story to tell. This is the personal identification that he experienced when God struck Paro. I would like to suggest that this is the moment when Moshe becomes more than a leader. This is when he begins to become Ish HaElokim, who will bring the Torah down from the mountain.